Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Yeah, it's a cond- condenser microphone, can it? Yeah. Look at you talking like you know things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did, I did two minutes research on Amazon, so give me a break. <laughs> oh, oh, I buy the first thing that's at the top. Amazon recommends like the, the Amazon bestseller. That's what I'm going for. Oh, gosh, the amount the amount I order on Amazon is ridiculous. <laughs> um, we're, we're all good to go for today? Yep. Of course. Okay, nobody's got anything interesting they want to say at the start here to kind of... Uh, well, funnily enough, I, I just I was I was waiting until we came on, oh, yeah. um, I, and I had a quick look at the uh, uh, iTunes reviews or Apple reviews, whatever you call it, of the podcast, <laughs> and I was absolutely delighted with the most recent review that we got. It said oh, yeah. very good and frequent, very good quality pod, but be prepared for an anti-United bias on the Premier League show as it's hosted by Man City and Liverpool fans. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is music to my ears, to be honest with you. Yeah, so. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I never read the reviews. I'm too. Uh, I'm too busy getting abused on Twitter by Mar- <laughs> by by Marseille fans. Oh yeah, why is that? Well, uh, my my surname is McCourt. <clears throat> oh yeah, the, the owner of Marseille is McCourt. Mm. So I get various people contact me on Twitter. Periodically, I get these people contact me on Twitter saying, "Hey, tell your corrupt uncle to sell our club," <laughs> or uh, what was the other ones? Is this your father? Uh, um, it, you know, d- uh, yeah. But, Not yeah, all the courts are, are related, are they? Well, that was my reply. Uh, there was one. Yeah, tell <laughs> tell your crooked uncle to leave us alone. Was another one. There you go. No, that's it's always the case. Like we had that on on Tuesday. I wrote an article about the penalty uh, decision or like non penalty decision in in the Bayern game, Mm -hmm. and. Like two minutes after the the article was published, I was like on Twitter. Someone wrote me like, "Ah, <laughs> oh, like what's with all the Bayern bashing? Like, can't you be neutral?" And I'm like, "This is just like this is one of the biggest talking points up until now." Like, like, and we have four articles praising Lewandowski for scoring, and like, I don't know, like it, it was it was hilarious. Like Bayern bashing. That's all. Yeah. That's what we're about here. At oh, yeah, that's, that's what's going to come now. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Good morning. And Helga Volman. Hi. Uh, Dan, you have your own podcast, right? Uh, well, sort of. I mean, it's not my own podcast, but it's not the Dan Burke show. Let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would hear that. I'd listen, I'd listen to the Dan Burke show. Would you like to give it a plug? Uh, well, yeah. I, you know, we bow down to the Barclays, the, uh, the, the, the the wonderful Barclays, and talk about the Premier League every week on a Tuesday, usually. So uh, if you like the Premier League, check it out, I guess. Okay. Helga, do you have your own podcast? Uh, no, Ooh. I just I just <clears throat> come here every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's just Dan, just again just to clarify, it's myself and Dan who just have our own podcast here. That, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> All right, I'll start. I'll be I'll be the the millionth dude that just thinks like his, his you can do, about football. Can you do a, can you do a wrestling one? I don't. I, the problem would be with that that I watch it like. A couple of days removed because you know it's mm-hmm. late at night here because of the u.s uh, time difference and then i work the next day so then it's difficult okay. and then is there's there not, always is the there not a german wrestling scene it's there question. is one i actually i actually went but i don't think it's that big that hold on you went actually would make sense you went yeah what's it like, like a, it was nice like the, there actually was like one of the wrestlers from AEW that i that i like and uh was was good like, did you did you hold up a board like a sign with something on it 
<laughs> no, no, no. It's also like it's kind of kind of small venue, like a couple hundred fans, but it was was fun. Oh, okay. Who would have known there was a German wrestling scene? This is going to be way more interesting than the Champions League stuff we have to talk about <laughs> in a few minutes. <laughs> anyway, so Dan has his own podcast. Helga doesn't, but he's going to be bringing you a German wrestling one pretty soon. Don't worry. Uh, and it's Wednesdays for women's football with Angelina Kelly. Uh, and of course, Thursdays for, you know, this whole European world one with myself. Uh, the feed remains the same. If you want to send us uh, any any emails you want to send that I can just pass on to my corrupt uncle or father, whichever one it is, uh, is uh, the, the email address remains the same podcast at onefootball.com okay so we're back on the Champions League beat uh, this week it was Atletico Madrid v Chelsea Lazio Bayern Atlanta v Real Madrid and Man City munching Gladbach uh, let's start with Chelsea against Atletico Madrid Dan you watched this one um, how did you manage to stay awake for the entire thing <laughs> uh, with great difficulty yeah thankfully I was I kind of had my eye on the uh, the, the Lazio Bayern game as well so that kind of kept the mm. kept the energy going you know okay uh, it wasn't a great one no, not really. A bit of a uh, sort of <laughs> tactical battle, some might call it. A game of chess, perhaps. Um, not a very good game of chess, I would say, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it was uh, it was Atletico kind of doing what they do and, and, and Chelsea uh, just about finding a way through in the end with a, with a wonderful goal, which kind of, uh, you know, excused the, the previous uh, 70 minutes or whatever it was of pretty boring football. Whenever anybody describes football or a match as a game of chess, they mean it was rubbish and they're just trying to sense <laughs> smart about it right yeah pretty much yeah. <laughs> okay uh, given you know uh, Atletico have Suarez and Joao Felix at their disposal they're, they're top of La Liga they were at home shouldn't we have expected more from them rather than just to sit back and stifle Chelsea yeah, I mean, well, they weren't at home really because it was in Bucharest. So, ah, well, that, that is uh, that is true. But you know what I mean? It, it, was, it is essentially yeah. their home leg, right? They were not nominally the home team. Yeah, I mean, it, when I when I saw the lineup and I saw that they had Felix and 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 Suarez up front, I did expect uh, you know something quite interesting to come from them, and and they had no shots on goal uh, on, on target at all. They had one big chance early in the game when when Suarez crossed it for Thomas Lamar, and he just uh, couldn't get it in at the back post. But that was pretty much it, really. They didn't create an awful lot. Um, Simeone, I think, got a bit frustrated on the touchline and got himself booked. Um, I'd love to know how many yellow cards he's got at this point. He must, <laughs> he must be tying them up. I feel like he probably gets one every game. Um, and yeah, it was it was a bit bit disappointed, a bit insipid, really. Um, which isn't great because you know even though they aren't technically. Uh, at home they've conceded an away goal now which could be a bit tricky when they go to Stamford Bridge for the second leg so mm. uh, I think they'll be very disappointed By contrast Giroud was talking to BT Sport afterwards and he said we came here with strong intentions to win the game play our game and we know how we could trouble uh, them offensively that just seems like the right attitude if you're going into a Champions League knockout game right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go f- go for go for that away goal. If you can get that, then uh, then it really opens it up for you. Uh, a lot of talk around Hudson Odoi and uh, Tuchel's recent handling of him. What did you make of that and and his performance? Well, he was very good, actually. Yeah. So, so at the weekend, he was brought on at half time against Southampton, and 31 minutes later, I think it was, he was taken off. Uh, so the substitute was subbed, which is always a bit uh, not very nice to see, is it? Always a bit embarrassing. Um, and instead of sort of coming out afterwards and just kind of playing it down, Tucker was like, "No, he, he wasn't good enough. His energy wasn't good enough. His pressing wasn't good enough. He didn't run enough. He didn't give me uh, a good performance." So I took him off, and um, 
you know, I guess you have to be a bit careful about kind of calling players out publicly like that. You know, I think that was uh, widely cited as Frank Lampard's downfall at Chelsea that he, uh, he he sort of went in front of the cameras after the game and blamed his players one too many times. Um, but Tuchel, you know, he's, he's probably used to dealing with pretty big personalities, having managed PSG and, and Dortmund before. So he kind of knows how to handle players perhaps a bit better than Lampard did. And perhaps this was a, a bit of tough love that Hudson Odoi needed because he came out and he, he started this game and he, and he really uh, sort of proved his worth to the manager and, and had a had a great game full of kind of vigour was that was the word I used in my match report he, he was really sort of getting up and down that uh, that right flank like a metronome so uh, so yeah it seemed to have had the desired effects that, that little uh, public dressing down Helga was this something that Tuckle did often at, at, at Dortmund I can't really remember it but I could be wrong here uh, you mean criticizing players? Yeah, just like, you know, like taking shots up? in public. Yeah, I don't think so. Like, I think in general, he's a he's a manager that demands a lot of attention to detail and that that the players follow their their plan. He also gives a lot of freedom. He like he stated that plenty of times in in interviews. But uh, like to a certain extent, he really expects like the, this like following the match plan that he that he sets out. So I am um, I can understand if he's if he's unhappy with a player if he doesn't follow that and then and then taking him out so but it's not really something that he that he's known for that he would especially with young players okay um uh, olivier Giroud, dan he rides again he do- certainly does yeah riding his bike in the sky like uh, the kid from et wasn't he that bicycle kid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a reference for the kids <laughs> uh, he's not quite appreciated is he olivier Giroud? Yeah, it's a weird one with him. I mean, he's he's. I think the way he's been used at Chelsea is about right now. You know, he's thirty four. He's he's sort of uh, used quite sparingly, um, and I think. Uh, I don't know if Tammy Abraham was was injured for this game. I think he was, yeah. So um, Tuchel really didn't have much choice to, to play uh, Giroud as the nine. And I think he's a very reliable player. He never really lets lets you down. He always sort of doesn't guarantee you a goal, but he, he seems to score more often than not. He's got a, got a really good record. I, I feel like that's one of them where if he played, you know, if he started every game, his uh, his record probably wouldn't be quite so good. I think he is quite good at being a, a bit of an impact player. But, you know, the technique on that goal was, was amazing. And to get it right in the corner, right out of... Uh, Jan Black's reach was was really nice. So, um, yeah, thirty four years old, still still going strong, still a handsome devil, isn't he? So, uh, yeah. Well, he might be the best looking number nine of all time. <laughs> there really, there's no. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of anyone else. Yeah, rack yeah. your brains, folks. He is the best looking number nine of all time. There can't be anybody better than him. But he does have a history of uh, pretty tasty technique goals. Remember the the scorpion kick scorpion he did? Scorpion kick, yeah, of that course, was, yeah. That was, that yeah. was pretty decent. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he celebrated uh, with a scorpion kick uh, celebration in his next match, which I think, <laughs> wasn't it? Did, did he do something like that? Or did I he just did, yeah. Up? I think he scored against Bournemouth, yeah, the, the following week. Yeah, oh, something like that, yeah. That's what it is. Um, here's a question for you both. Uh, oh, yeah. that sort of, uh, I put out on the One Football Twitter account last night, actually. I saw um, Giroud's goal and Deli Alli's goal in the Europa League uh, on Wednesday night described both as a bicycle kick and a scissor kick. Which one is it for you, would you say? No, it's a bicycle kick. Yeah. For you, Helga? I have to admit that this is, as a non-native speaker, I don't exactly know what's the difference. <laughs> what, what do you call it in German? Fallrückzieher? Uh, or do you mean like, a, like, a, like if it was more to the side or more like a... Like a you know, like, what's the difference between the two? Like Fallrückzieher, Seitfallzieher would be German. So the overhead but. kick is is when you... 
kick the ball over your head, but a scissor kick is when you do it sort of more to the side. Sideways, okay. Sideways. Isn't that right, Dan? I guess so. Yeah. Well, someone someone replied on on Twitter with the you know the famous De Canio goal for West Ham, and they said that that was what they would describe as a scissor kick, and I would say that's about right, actually. Yeah. Oh, so I'm looking at famous. Side, uh, I'm looking at Deli Ali's. I'm looking at Deli Ali's. Overhead. I'm looking at Deli Ali's goal again to, uh, right now, and that looks like an overhead kick to me. But isn't that still a bicycle kick? Yeah, bicycle kick over a bicycle kick overhead kick, same thing. But scissors yeah. kick is completely different. I think yeah. it has to has that scissor sideways scissors motion I mean scissor kick I would say Holland is the the perfect example for it you know it was like sideways in the air and then like just oh the, the one the weekend so, yeah and against Schalke yeah yeah that makes sense actually yeah yeah like really like falling towards the side and then kicking it like that uh, I did see speaking of the the Deli Ali Giroud thing I did see somebody tweet with you know when Deli Ali saw Olivier Giroud's acrobatic goal and then it had the, the meme of Michael Jordan saying and I took that personally <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's quite a nice touch um, but yeah I'm not sure we've quite yeah I'm trying to think of what would be a classic scissors kick what about Marco Van Basten 88 is that a scissors kick the in the final was it no? Was it the final? Was it the? Oh no, maybe it was quarterfinal. I'm showing my age here. Uh, Semi. I only remember. I remember the the volley into the far corner in the final of the 88 Euros. Oh right, was that a scissors kick or was that? Nah, that's, that's, that's just a, that's just a volley that's for me. Volley. Straight up volley. Yeah. Straight up volley. Okay. Um, well, before we get too bogged down in this, um, any <laughs> any other talking points from that game, Dan? I would just say uh, I thought Mason Mount was very good. I thought he mm. he already looks like he sort of improved as a player for me under Tuchel and. and and he's doing a bit more than he was under uh, Lampard, and and there was a bit of kind of concern when when Lampard was sacked and when Tuchel took over, like will he will he sort of have the same investment in Chelsea's young players that that Lampard had, and uh, and so far he really has, and I think he's you know Mason Mount is he, he seems to be playing with a bit more intelligence in the past few weeks, and and his passing's really lovely, and uh, you know there's a lot of debate in England at the moment about all these midfield players, which mm. ones are going to be able to go to the Euros, and he's he's making a very good very good case for himself. I think it might be just a step too far from Mount. Possibly, yeah. yeah I, we'll I think see. he might be the one that, that misses out. Foden will definitely go. Yeah. Uh, but Mount, I'm less less sure. Mm. Uh, elsewhere, I think we can safely say a 4-1 away win means Bayern are through to the next round, Helga. Most likely, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Ring, <laughs> ringing endorsement there. Uh, does the result say more about Bayern or more about Lazio? Uh, a bit of both, kind of. Um, as always, um, I think like to begin with uh, Lazio, I think it was really obvious that they seem to be very nervous. We talked like we talked about this before, uh, like when we talked about the topics for for today. That don't they, give they, away the magic, Helga. <laughs> <laughs> they, they think this is all off the cuff. Well, it kind of is. <laughs> this is clearly very improvised. Like I think I think no one is going to take this as a, as, a, as a you know rehearsed podcast uh, but they they were literally like at some point literally falling over their own feet like at the at the third goal when uh, Patrick was was losing the ball in midfield and then was running after Coman he, he literally fell over his own feet and also the first goal um, that was shocking that, that yeah Musakio I think it was like was yeah. playing the, the ball into, into the foot of, of Lewandowski that yeah that was really Early on, a lot of a lot of nervousness seen from them. I actually expected a bit bit more from Lazio. We also spoke a lot about Bayern because they were 
capable to do something that they didn't do in the last two games, which was to actually be there from the start to to have their kind of usual pressure from the start to to make it a tough game for the Lazio players to build from the back and to really to really yeah set this this tone from the start which they really lacked against uh, Bielefeld for example and against Frankfurt where they they then had to somehow equalize the the goals that they conceded early on or in the first half mm. so they kind of switched it around this time that they were there from the start scored their goals and then they were able to in the second half kind of kind of slow it down a little bit and 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 don't do as much anymore as they, they did in the first. Tell us all you know about uh, Jamal, and I hope I pronounced this right, is it Musalia? Musiala. Musiala, there we go. Tell us all you know about him, Helga. He's a future German international, it seems. Uh, it very much seems so. He decided to play for Germany and... Take that, England. Not f- <laughs> not for they want him anyway. <laughs> we got enough. Well, you, well, I was about to say, you've got enough enough talented attackers, I think, for... I'll take him at Ireland. Attackers. Can we take him at Ireland? <laughs> 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 yeah, well, he's... he's He's like badly needed in in Germany. Like we can use some some young attacking players that are capable of dribbling as well. But yeah, he's uh, turning eighteen, I think, tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> uh, scored a goal. I think the second goal against um, against Lazio, which made him the youngest goal scorer of Bayern in the Champions League and the eleventh youngest overall. <laughs> So that's there's something, you know, can't can't drive a car on his own, but that's <laughs> scored a goal in a Champions League. That is pretty amazing. Um, to be able to play in the Champions League uh, round of sixteen at the age of seventeen and score is frankly annoying. If I'm going to yeah. be honest about it, yeah. um, but and I mean, well, let's 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 be nice. It, it's impressive. Uh, another one you were impressed by is is Leroy Sané. Yeah, that's true. I think he like, could be good. He he'd be, de- <laughs> he'd be decent for Man City too, Dan. If you're if you're ever interested in him, uh, I don't think we could afford him, unfortunately. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was good. He was good, Helga, wasn't he? Yeah, he's he's now finding his footing. He was already good against against Frankfurt, and it's also kind of logical that he he needed some time at Bayern because he came in when they were still uh, in the middle of the season, kind of like or like finishing up the the Champions League successfully. But he came from a long injury and then, you know, they didn't really have a preseason where where he could train with the team that much. So it took him some time. Uh, he seemed like he didn't really know exactly his, his role or like how he should play in, in a flick system, trying sometimes even too much of like defensive action or like, like following players all over the field and then being missed up front. But now he he, he really finds his, his footing there, like where he's now capable of doing his his typical dribblings into into the into the box or also like the kind of like cut inside kind of like uh robin used to do and then shoot from outside of the box uh he had now a goal and an assist in in the last game had an assist against frankfurt he's really he's really getting there now like and i'm very happy for him actually have to say i'm sure dan is too uh i I did uh, i did love how he delayed for was it the og yeah, it was the OG, uh, how he was like miles ahead of everybody and then had the intelligence to delay the game for everybody to uh, to pick up on. It was quite nice to see. Uh, so, But despite the win, Helga, there are still
still some issues in that Bayern side and looking at that defence in particular um, I as I was saying to you in our pre-pod chat I, I don't trust Sula as a right back but you were a little bit more impressed than I was I think in the last game definitely yeah before when I saw the starting 11 because there was some talk about maybe he would take out Zule and I was surprised because he really looked out of his depth against um, against Frankfurt but now like they could have for example put Alaba in midfield and put like next to Goretzka put Kimmich as right back as they sometimes mm. did uh, with substitutes in the past um, and have for example Luca Hernandez play play in the, in the as a centre back instead of Alaba that would have made Ka- more sense to me I have to say on paper but yeah yeah like when I when I was thinking about it I was also like yeah that's that's a like sensible idea then I kind of figure okay I understand also that Flick would not want to turn his whole team around just to to put a right back there and it's also kind of sad that they they signed a new player in Bunasa who really is not apparently on the on the level that he needs to be to to play at Bayern so in the sense of like don't mess up or like like change around your your formation completely uh then it kind of makes sense that Zule was playing at right back. Also, you could see Kimmich, for example, was the one putting the pressure uh, before the first goal that caused the the pass mm-hmm. towards towards Lewandowski. So he's really also needed in midfield. That's maybe something also like later on we can uh, talk a little bit more. Um, but Zule, I think against Lazio, he really had a good game. I think he wasn't really challenged that much. So. There could be, maybe be a thing where like he can he can play that against opponents that are um, maybe less uh, threatening a little bit for for the right side there. But he even had the time to to start dribbling and like doing tricks, which I think was really funny because he looked a little, <laughs> little stiff on the hip there, but like doing like step overs and like playing it with the back heel and like it was really funny, kind of like how how he grew in confidence there during the game. He looked like me trying to do them, is what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other taking, talking points you wanted to mention from this game? Yeah, as I said, like about Kimmich, Kimmich I think yeah. he was really, really pivotal there in the game. He, like at the beginning, as I said, he put the pressure there, but also when Bayern, after conceding the the goal uh, early in the, like after they scored the fourth and then conceded immediately, basically the the, the goal from Lazio, they seemed to begin to struggle a little bit in the sense that Lazio was creating chances. It wasn't that there was like a, that Bayern was was um, really panicking or anything but they were struggling a little bit more when and Lazio got some idea of like maybe we can get a second or even a third goal and Kimmich uh, in the I think it was the um, like in the, yeah, in the 77th minute I actually made a note here he was yelling for everybody to hear like let's stand a bit deeper let's you know let, let's not attack as early let's be more compact and like he really took over the reins there as as kind of like an organizer in midfield and Bayern afterwards was able to calm down the game they they kept the ball more they they didn't put the high pressure as much and you know opened up um like like holes in the defense that as much anymore they they sat deeper they kept the ball they quiet uh, they calmed the game down they they passed the ball safe passes and and that's really what what drove home that 4-1 victory i think that was quite impressive uh, as for man city dan you were impor- you mm. were impressed by their portugueseers as you were calling them <laughs> uh well yeah yeah i mean um i mean 
Bernardo Silva is one who uh, has obviously been brilliant for, for City in the past. Last season, uh, lost his way somewhat, um, was very sort of, uh, sort of pensive on the ball and not really contributing very much in terms of goals, assists or anything really. He's really come on leaps and bounds uh, again this season, a real sort of renaissance he's enjoying and he, he, he scored a headed goal uh, to open the scoring against Gladbach, which was nice. This was, ama- the, the- this was amazing to me. He's the smallest man in the entirety of football and there he is scoring against these six foot Gladbach Giants yeah there was a stat from Opta like he scored like 35 goals for City now but only three of them have been with his head I was like I'm surprised it's three to be yeah, honest me it too. doesn't <laughs> seem like a player who scores that many um, but but yeah the, the, the guy who, who made the assist I thought was uh, has been one of the best players in Europe this season one of City's mm. best players for sure João Cancelo um, a guy who has really kind of proved me wrong and really surprised a lot of people this season because he he came uh, last season and, and was kind of a just just like a generic right back really who who wasn't really contributing very much never really like was brought in to kind of compete with Kyle Walker for the right back spot never really dislodged him played left back a couple of times and looked a bit out of place um, this season he's been playing some sort of weird hybrid of like a right <laughs> back <laughs> defensive midfielder attacking midfielder like he's just all over the place he just pops up everywhere on the pitch um, and against Gladbach he played left back um, which kind of suits him quite well as well because he can co- come inside on his right foot and he's, he's he's a very kind of disruptive influence on the, on, on the play it makes it makes things uh, opposition defences like really hard to kind of pick him up what he's doing um, and it just makes City much much more difficult to kind of kind of control I guess and, uh, and and the cross for the goal was just amazing yeah if you can even call it left back because like, mm. it was it was so many <clears throat> different like I like in, in Guardiola when he said like you know these uh, like 442 all of these uh, like systems to him mother's phone numbers because you could see that yesterday completely yeah like they were sometimes playing like I was trying to write down like what kind of formation that would be and I have like 244 2331 3 I guess they just kept changing it completely and like, like going into just like as Bariola like always says like they just covered positions on the field or like you know certain spaces on the field and it wasn't really really down to like oh he's a left back so he's just covering the left flank you know mm. like he's it was all over the place sometimes but always with yeah. a plan exactly. um, is he the best attacking fullback stroke uh, whatever position he's playing these days in the world <sighs> I don't know about the best, but I think he's quite unique. I don't really see anyone else doing anything like this. Uh, admittedly, I'm not watching every game <laughs> in the world at the moment, but um, but yeah, I, I mean, Amazing obviously, journalism. yeah, <laughs> you know, Guardiola has kind of done done this before at Bayern with uh, with Philip Lahm and, and David Alaba and uh, with, with great success. Um, but I don't really see any other player kind of performing this role quite as well. And I wonder if it's going to be uh, if it's going to set a kind of a new trend now, and if, if a lot of teams are going to try and copy this. This is again, you're. you're you can't see you're showing your anti-Liverpool bias by not even mentioning their fullbacks. Yeah, yeah but they're just, but they're, they're they're just kind of. I mean, I'm not saying they're, they're not good at it, but they're they mm-hmm. sort of le- left-footed play <laughs> player playing left back, right-footed player playing right back, get down the wing, whip crosses in. That's that's the sort of opposite of what Cancelo's doing, really. Uh, I'm just looking at his heat map uh, here and his are his average positions say for the, for the game, and it's 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 well inside the opposition half, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is quite nice to see. Um, <laughs> Um, that win means it's now 19 in a row for Manchester City. 19 in a row, 25 unbeaten, I think it is, or 26 unbeaten, maybe. Yeah, brush that dirt yeah. off your shoulder there. This is—it's <laughs> sort of gone a little bit under the radar that they've gone 19 wins in a row, hasn't it? 
It has a bit. Well, yeah, I guess. Well, yeah. maybe not for you, but is it, is maybe it, not for uh, not for me. But for the rest of the world, why is that? Is it? It seems because in any other season that would be an insane run. I think it's kind of, it's a weird one because they were so average um, for like you know much of this season. Like it, that they the last game that they didn't win in any competition was against West Brom uh, in um, December. In it? December, yeah, like fifteenth of December, I think it was, and I think that that result. Put, took them sixth in the Premier League table, which was their highest position of the table uh, of the season at that point. And since then, they've just won every, won every game, beaten like loads of decent teams along the way. Pretty much, you know, almost sealed the Premier League title already. The ten points clear. It doesn't look like they're gonna gonna loosen the grip on that. So, yeah, it's it's, it's just. Like usually, when a team goes on a run of form like this, it's kind of at the start of a season, and everyone's talking about, "Oh, are they going to be like the Invincibles team or whatever?" Mm-hmm. It's very rare that a team starts a season so badly and then hits their stride midway through the season and just pulls away from everyone like this. I think. I think that says a lot about the team, though. No. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was there was some sort of uh, crisis talks held in the held in the dressing room around the time of that West Brom game, where. Guardiola kind of sat down with the players and was like, "This can't continue. We need to we need to change up what we're doing." And, and since then, they've 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 come up with this like really fluid system that's getting the best out of a lot of people. And they, they've done all this without Sergio Aguero for most of the season. Gabriel Jesus played against Gladbach, but often he doesn't even play, and they just play without a striker and a kind of false nine. And Ilkay Gundogan's a player who's been amazing this season, who's really come on leaps and bounds and chips in with loads of goals. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's I think it's it's been a real kind of like test of Guardiola's management, a real proof that he is uh, someone who is kind of able to regenerate and evolve a bit like he's like the David Bowie of uh, football <laughs> management I think yeah I, I, loved, I, I loved how he was saying at some point that the problem was that his players were running too much because yeah. like, normally you know you hear like oh no we're right. not you know investing enough or I don't know like when, when there's a poor poor run but he was just like no like we're just in the wrong positions like yeah. we're running too much like we're covering too stop much. running like, yeah like, <laughs> uh, during those crisis talks stands how how many times do you think he said the word guys? Probably into the thousands. Into yeah, the thousands. I would say. Guys, yeah, guys, guys, yeah. guys, guys. <laughs> um, you mentioned Gabriel Jesus um, and Pep was speaking after the game saying his team needs to be a bit more clinical. He has to be thinking about Jesus and that chance. <sighs> yeah, I would say that, so. That was, I don't know what, was he given too much time to think about it? Is that what the problem was? Probably, yeah. I mean, it was on his left foot as well, which is his weaker foot, and I don't think he was like too comfortable there. But and he was he was sort of trying his best to get it onto his right foot until it was a bit too late. But yeah, I thought it was interesting that Pep used the word clinical because I don't think I've, I've really heard him use that before, and that that has been a problem for City in the past. Um, usually in games that they haven't won, uh, where they've sort of like created loads of chances, not taken them. <laughs> On this occasion, he's sort of bringing it out when they've won two 0 and you know put themselves you know one foot into the into the quarterfinals really. So it's interesting now that his kind of uh, his strive for perfection is that he's not even happy with a two nil two nil win now, and he's and he wants to see them scoring more goals. So maybe that's the the sort of next step in the evolution that he's uh, he's trying to get them to finish chances like that one. Good save from Ederson at the end too. Yeah, I mean that was Gladbach's only shot I think in the whole game uh, right at the death. So mm-hmm. uh, that might have made things a bit more interesting if that had gone. In. But uh, yeah, they, they didn't offer uh, a great deal of threat, really, Gladbach. Um, as for Gladbach, Helga, three defeats and a draw for Marco Rose would suggest his team are not quite as focused as they could be right now. Um, maybe, <laughs> because of some stuff happening next to the field now. But in general, also, like, I don't think we, we really expected much more than they, they gave in the, in the game yesterday from them. Because we also said there beforehand, you know, maybe 
coming up with an article of like this is how they could break Man City down like this is like where they could take their chances to actually win this game and then we just stopped at some point because we were like 18 different Premier League coaches did not come up with any idea yeah. how, <laughs> how, how are we going to make like the like the how are we going to have the ideas of you know making Gladbach suddenly win against Man City um, Dan what are you going to do when City win the quadruple uh, probably have a very um, quiet celebration, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Socially stay distanced. Indoor, stay indoors, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. bit, of, bit of Zoom chat with my dad probably, but that'll be it, yeah. Shout out to Guy. Uh, <laughs> finally to Real Madrid, Helga, where there was an interesting red card in that game. Um, yeah, like it was, was really a tough decision, I would say, because it was clearly the, the last man that was committing a foul there. But... Um, it was that I think Mondia was that he was running away from goal kind of with the ball. Like no no like he like his touch put the ball sideways a little bit, like away from like a clear path towards goal. So it's a it's a tough one, but also I would not say that it was a clear mistake from from the referee. Mm. Did you see it, Dan? I did, yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, for the reasons that Helga said there, I think you could argue that it wasn't a red card and it's a shame how it spoiled the game, really, because I think Atalanta came into this game really sort of prepared to have a go at Real Madrid and really attack them and weren't able to from 17 minutes on. But I didn't think it was that controversial decision, really. I think you probably could have made a pretty strong argument for a red card there. Oh, yeah, yeah, as I said, like, he, was, he was clearly the last man and in, in, in in close to the box. So, yeah. It... <laughs> I don't know if the guy on the other side would have actually got across. It, it seems he was a bit too far away to cover for me, but yeah. Um, watching this, Helga, um, it was clear to me that this Tony Kroos guy is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he is. Like at least like, we, we talked about earlier as well as a little bit. Like at what he does, he's really, really good. Like he he had 154 touches of the ball in that game. That's insane. Uh, it it really ridiculous. was. <laughs> also, kind of like when you when we talked about when I talked about Kimmich earlier, he, he had a similar scene where he. Um, you could see like the pressure from Atalanta was actually quite quite good. Like they were like in the typical man on man coverage, kind of like following all of the field. Really, a lot of players close to the ball. He uh, gave gave Real Madrid a uh, passing option out wide, a little bit away from all that bulk of of Atalanta feet. You know, he hmm. he really. Like they were, the ball was on the right side. He just went completely to the left. Was waving with his arms, gonna like play the ball here. Like, let's get it out of this pressure areas, and uh, that kind of showed like also like how how he gives the the, the game of limited structure there. Like how he is capable of reading a game and and getting out of these these threatening uh, situations there. So I, I really like that that moment there. You can always argue that Kroos maybe is not the biggest threat on goal. You know, like that he's not a perfect goal scorer, but for what he does, like giving a game mm. or like the, the a team structure in, in their game he really is great at that you don't need him to be though Helga isn't that right no no you no. don't need him to be no, you can't be everything you just can't <laughs> be everything to people um, I watched the Tony Cross documentary did you yeah <laughs> Is it on Amazon? That it's yeah, Amazon Prime, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> my my favorite. But did neither of you saw this? No, no, no. so far no, no. Okay, it's almost like the two of you have better things to do with your time. <laughs> uh, was it good? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a football documentary, and Robbie Williams yeah. was in it. But you know, it was a bit odd. I mean, I know why Robbie Williams was in there, but it was still a bit odd why Robbie Williams was in there. Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought he came across quite well. I mean, he's 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 a really just ordinary, normal bloke. He wants to hang out with his family. He goes to the, you know, goes to the award shows. Doesn't seem to particularly enjoy them, but he just likes playing football. 
I think also, I think he'll make a good coach. One I also day. I also like him his podcast. He's he's doing one with his brother, and it's really entertaining. Philip and Felix. Felix. Oh, Felix. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're there and talking the two of them, or sometimes they have a guest in there. Like I think Podolski was there once. Now they had Manuel Grefe. I did not know they had a podcast. Yeah, it's actually quite mm-hmm. good. It's really really good. Okay, is it in German? It is in German, isn't it? Obviously, it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's why you haven't heard about it. <laughs> uh, so, apart from Kroos, uh, not a particularly impressive performance from Real Madrid, was it, Helga? I uh, no, they they really had. They were struggling with the missing players. I think nine players were missing before the game, and and you could see that they like with Benzema, for example, they were missing like a like kind of like a target man up front, mm. kind of like a, like a player they could like where the midfielders could could move around. With you know what Giroud, for example, gives Chelsea in, in that sense, or like the the French national team at the World Cup back then, like a player that is like really like a, like a like a clear striker, yeah, focal, or, a focal point, so to speak, yeah, yeah, yeah that exactly, and or they would have needed players, kind of like as I said, like they they really understood the concept of a false nine. I mean, they probably do, but they just didn't didn't play that way yesterday. They they. If you have the, the, this false nine approach or like a no clear striker approach, there like you need players running deep, you know that behind the, the defensive line, so you can play the passes there, um, or like alternate runs where like a player falls back a little bit, pulls the defender out of the out of the formation there, and then creates a, a hole that someone else can like can like a space that someone else can run into. They had that twice in the first half, where like one of those moments they actually got the the, the red card for Atalanta, and then the chance for Vinicius Junior. So they they had these, but way too few times that they actually managed to do these things. Especially when you look at Atalanta, really when they they are like this man coverage style that they have a little bit like of course spaces as well but man coverage a lot and then it was really that goal was the only possible way of them scoring it felt like like you know from distance from outside the box and not really you know coming behind the defense uh quite a goal from mendy though that is certainly true yeah i thought the goalkeeper was quite bad on that though didn't you oh what I think he sort of got all the way across to it and then just like couldn't be asked to like stretch his hand the extra inch to just tap it away it seemed wait haven't you haven't you played as a goalkeeper well sort of yeah, yeah so you, you know how hard it is to stuff those shots Come I would on. have I would have saved that I reckon yeah. Yeah. I would have caught that uh, <laughs> would have caught it would have caught it with your hat <laughs> yes uh, but the, I, I urge you if you have not seen it to go look at the angle from behind the goal which is uh, pretty pretty spectacular <laughs> okay anything else you want to mention in, in the Champions League or actually just want to mention in general I was just thinking about the Champions League. It's sort of oh, done, yeah. isn't it? The last sixteen now. There's only really Juventus Porto that is like uh, still open as a contest. Really, you would oh, that's think. Interesting. Every well, every, every yeah. other tie seems to be pretty much uh, done and dusted. I don't uh, know. I, I, I don't know. But Sevilla, Sevilla Dortmund could be interesting, no? What was it? Three two. Three two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three away goals for Dortmund. Was it or was that? Uh, yeah, that's three true. Away goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And also, Sevilla really did, didn't look good against them defensively, which is so weird because they normally are 
massive. I think they, they, with the exception of the the Dortmund game, I think they didn't concede in like ten games now. What, like yeah, one goal in ten games, something like that. It's it's crazy. But then three against Dortmund was. Yeah, well, Manu was on last week slagging off La Liga, saying it's rubbish. It's not, <laughs> it's not quite. It's not quite how he said it. But he did say that the standard is maybe not as good as we as it used to be, and uh, that was exposed against Dortmund, who are even not doing particularly well in the Bundesliga. Uh, so you reckon Liverpool through? We'd say PSG through. Yeah, Dortmund. Dortmund still like because Dortmund is so up and down. I think there is still a chance that they they could. Uh, <laughs> Anything's possible with that Dortmund yeah, side. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody um, knows, but yeah. So that's that's open. I would say we'd say Bayern are through, City are through, Juventus. I want to say it's going to be tricky for them to turn that around. I think, but uh, it's it's definitely doable. Yeah, because yeah, they're not I playing mean, very well. Are they I could see Ronaldo. Just Ronaldo. I could just see. Yeah, him. yeah. Uh, Atletico Chelsea. I think Atletico still has a chance. Like it's really also unlucky for them that they conceded that goal in the way it was, you know, with a with a botched clearance kind of. Because otherwise their plan would have been completely working out. You know, they get a get a zero, like a nil nil at home, mm. and then just you know win on away goals kind of. Mm. But like with the one zero, like I think they they had like some moments where when they had the high pressing a little bit, you know, like in the first minute already with uh, Suarez when he was putting pressure on on Mondi there. Um, then some some yeah like they had like some chances when they were pressure like putting high pressure like, like on the defense already so maybe if they they score an early goal there i think like it's at least still still somewhat open okay mm-hmm. atlanta real madrid nah i fancy real madrid to see that one out now at yeah. home you can yeah. imagine yeah all right and then uh congratulations to man city for winning it dan yeah thanks very much yeah yeah i think you've been uh, i thought you were excellent in it (laughs) yeah you can buy me a beer one day to to uh really congratulate me if you like oh if we ever see (laughs) each other ever again (laughs) okay and helga when you get the wrestling podcast you can come back on we can plug it right here well, I will certainly do that if, if ever that comes to fruition. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, lads. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Now, Porig, uh, last week when we had you on, you said 3-0 to Inter. Uh, I, I thought you were kidding. I thought it was a joke. I even wrote it down in my diary. Porig had a very funny joke today. I laughed at it later that night, but 3-0 to Inter it was. And for the... For the second week in a row, I'm asking you after a Milan defeat, what the hell happened? Inter happened. They're just, yeah, they're just like the same as the same as they did against Lazio. The same as they've been doing to most teams this season. They're just better than every other team in that league right now. And yeah, Milan, they had a few good moments in the game. They probably should have really equalised at one point um, they were on top kind of before half time and after half time and Danovic made some really good saves but they never really managed to do anything while they were on top and yeah punished big time by Lukaku and Motaro and, and everyone else it's just a really good team at the moment they just look like they might steamroller everybody else the way that they're playing 
Let's go straight to Handanovic because you were slagging him off last week. I was, I was. Yes. Uh, well, let, let's be kinder. You were concerned about Handanovic because he'd made some some pretty high-profile mistakes this yeah. season. It's nice to know that he listens to the podcast, isn't it? Hey, that anger, that anger is what drove nice. him to that to that dressing room wall material. <laughs> they had a picture of you on the dressing room wall, just throwing yeah. darts at it. Uh, but that double save, I, I guess that put your mind at ah, ease. Yeah, really good, really, really good, and. Even he was uh, he was playing it out from the back quite well and stuff. He even had a funny uh, funny exchange with his old Udinese manager. I think after the game on the zone was was kind of slagging him off a bit and saying how oh you didn't used to play out of the back like that with me. And he said well with with your uh, Stone Age tactics you didn't really <laughs> allow me to do so. But yeah, even even with his feet, he's confident. Um, Made not just the the two saves uh, from Zlatan, but there was a few other uh, moments in the game as well where he was put under a bit of pressure and dealt with it all really well. I do think it is still um, it's still a, a concern that the form that he has been in this season and that he is obviously getting older. But that was that was just top class, really, really good. Um, and it's just such a shame that there was no fans there to enjoy what was it absolutely well, crazy technically there was there was quite a lot of fans <laughs> yeah. inside the stadium but yeah both fans uh, converged in their numbers <clears throat> outside San Siro for it which was which was interesting yeah I'm I, I guessing they weren't social distancing <laughs> it would be from what I saw from it um, who who was at fault for Milan or, or was it more of a case that you know playing Europa League catching up on them uh, and in that sense maybe the Champions League exit for Inter which was embarrassing earlier in this season has been a sort of blessing in disguise uh, yeah I think that's the, the big reason that Inter probably will win the league is because they got knocked out of the Champions League when they did and they don't have to worry about that anymore Milan their season pretty much they haven't really had a lot of time off for almost 12 months now. I know they had the initial shutdown like March last year um, when the first games everywhere started getting called off and leagues were getting halted but from January to March they played a lot then the pause game and since Serie A resumed like last June they had the Europa League in July they've really not had any time off. They've almost been at it for like eight months now so it's understandable that that squad would start to tire a little bit and even then apart from the Spezia game they've not lost against bad teams really they've lost against Juve Atalanta and the Derby now like all really good teams that you could easily lose against but with that squad being kind of as thin as it is Mm. you can't really see them sustaining anything now Juve obviously still have to worry about the Champions League uh, they it might only last another ninety minutes for them, but you would fancy if they got that late away goal in Portugal that they'll probably come back and do the job on Porto at home, and then they'll have a few more games in that to worry about. And obviously, I think all their priorities will be on that as well, and making sure they win that because they'd won plenty of Scudetti without Cristiano Ronaldo. They didn't buy him to to keep the dominance going at home so all their eggs I think will pretty much be in that basket so it seems like it's kind of set up now for Inter to maybe go on and if not run away with it but win it quick, be convincing champions at least So are you ruling are you ruling Milan out? 
Yeah, I think I'm ruling everyone out, to be honest. Oh, okay. And I, I don't think either of the, the Rome clubs. Um, yeah, we've talked about Rome a lot before. You can't really rely on them in Lazio. Good team, but it's also it's unrealistic, I think, to expect those clubs who really shouldn't be challenging for the league, given the resources compared to the rest. Uh, like Inter have went out and bought absolute superstars like Lukaku turning the derby for them. Roma mm. don't have that. Lazio don't have that. So you can't really expect them. And Milan, yeah, I just think that they're they're just really a lot of lot of mileage in those legs now and the squad outside of that first eleven, which we spoke about so many times. And the centre backs as well, I think, really starting to get exposed now to. Um, you're really seeing. I think even among Milan fans, a lot of them are starting to turn a little bit on Romagnoli, who's the captain and got destroyed by everyone um, in the derby, pretty much. And he's just, he is, forget he is comfortable on the ball and he's good in the air and he reads the game quite well, but the guy is slow, like he really is slow on the kaku. Turned him inside out more than once. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of problems in that Milan team, but I think, yeah. Even a return to the Champions League for them. I know that maybe when they were leading the league at Christmas and stuff, and people were getting quite excited and thought maybe the glory days were back. But it's even been a long time since they've been in the Champions League, and Milan are a Champions League club, of course they are. So even uh, finishing in the top four and being back there, I think will be quite exciting. Um, let's talk about uh, Lukaku in a minute. But um, his arch nemesis didn't really show up, did he? Who would that be, Mister oh, Big Mr. Big Ebra, the Lion himself, the big yeah. game, the big game player? He likes to he likes to portray himself to be. Didn't quite, didn't quite do it. Was it was his uh, mind too much on that San Remo music festival? <laughs> I actually thought Zlatan played quite well. He had one really quite, and it was almost like a karate chop flick in the first half, and mm-hmm. kind of was a good height for Handanovic to save. A good, decent shot from outside the box but he said they obviously had those two that were that brought out the really good saves from Handanovic I thought I thought he played quite well um, and obviously he was taken off late on when, when they knew the game was done and sat on the bench looking absolutely disgusted with life but yeah like you mentioned he's got got a busy week um, mm. so I thought this was a joke when you told me about this but he really is going to be at the San Remo Music Festival for a, as a host yeah, as, right. a, as a guest star, guest host, because he'd essentially signed the contract for that last summer before he signed the contract extension at Milan. So he was, yeah, he was obliged to to turn up, and he'll even even be doing a duet with Bologna coach and Serie A maniac Sinisa Mihailovic at it as well. Which I'll definitely be seeking that out. I think when when the footage of that becomes available. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know where to go with that. Him and Mahalovic together, just, yeah, all kinds of interesting. Indeed, indeed. Um, have you ever seen a man more happy with an assist than Lukaku for that first goal? Yeah, I know. I think... He was pretty happy, he, wasn't he? He was right enough to be as well, wasn't he? Because it was his it was his goal. He'd done all the hard work. I know Lotaro still has to guide it in, but yeah, that was, that was just a perfect example of of when he'd left Romagnoli for dead and I think oh. it might not be after that one but I think it could be where there's a clip was going around from Italian TV and it's Romagnoli turning to his teammates and saying 
oh my god, this guy is really fast. <laughs> if he hadn't been watching the Lazio game, which we talked about the week before, I mean, I think he knew that before before he went in. But yeah, it's just just shows that he really he can do it all when he, he gets. I don't. Know, I think he has quite a harsh reputation with, with a lot of people. I think he's maybe a one-dimensional striker or just a number nine or you can't do this and you saw it in England a lot where mm. it wasn't good enough for Man United and he was lazy and his touch was bad and I just really don't think that's the case I don't think he has a lot of weaknesses he showed that with the, the first goals as we ran through and the cross and then that third goal as well the one he got himself oh. amazing celebration as well yeah. oh the celebration was fantastic which I don't. I genuinely don't think he was aiming it at Ibrahimovic, which some people, I think, wanted to really, really yeah. trying to extend this rivalry maybe a bit too far when it doesn't exist. But yeah, the celebration was really good. I think he was asked about it. He did a Twitter Q and A on Tuesday night and was asked about it, and he he just said, yeah, it's just adrenaline, pretty much. Yeah, I don't think he even maybe realised what, what he was saying or what he was shouting but well, yeah it was fun from what I saw he was cursing about English and Italian which is yeah. an am- amazing presence of mind yeah. after you scored such a great goal uh, James Horcastle was writing in The Athletic and summed up his performance uh, by saying at the end of the week in which all been to- we've all been talking about Mbappe and Haaland a 27 year old once again delivered a complete performance of skill intelligence and remarkable spatial awareness he's into his grand central station everything goes through him uh, but like you said he he still does have a, a harsh reputation and it seems like he should be mentioned among the world's best these days given how he's performing for Inter, no? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't really understand why why he isn't, to be honest. And yeah, like that piece says, he, and the whole piece is a really good one about just how mm. he does everything so well. And even the fact that he's still only 27 is... Jeez, like, my God. He, was it people kind of were aware of him? I think when he was about fourteen or fifteen at Anderlecht, and he was already being built up a little bit then. So I th- he's been on the radar, I think, for a lot of people for like well over a decade now. But yeah, he's probably just coming into maybe the best years of his career now. And like his pure centre forwards go. Mm. It's ha- hard to find many in the world that are better. Obviously, Lewandowski's number one he's the one I that comes to after, mind after that though it's hard yeah, to think of anybody better that, right exactly yeah that's same for me like when, when you take Lewandowski away from it obviously you've got your great goal scorers like Ronaldo and Mbappe and Messi but as a pure number nine it's maybe Lewandowski Lukaku and then Haaland probably after that because I know he's on fire just now but Lukaku kind of has the track record and been there and done it for almost 10 years now yeah and it's the combination like uh, like uh, James there like it's the combination of what he brings is really amazing and those, those goals that goal against Lazio which I absolutely loved and and then this goal just yeah just he's he's, he's playing with a point to prove um, yeah Definitely, it's it's interesting that Christian Eriksen has managed to assimilate his way back into that side. I think we all, at least I thought he was done for it, Inter, but he's he's managed to play his way back in. He's been decent too, no? Yeah, he's he's, he's played played well. Um, probably helped that he's playing alongside like a real superstar in Barella, who's the one that I think really makes that midfield tick. But yeah, he's playing that kind of deeper lying role that we saw at Tottenham and. Yeah, he's come in and I think he's probably made made uh, like the position his own. I, I think it would be harsh now for for Conte to 
put in a Vidal or a Sensi whenever he's fit or, or whoever. I think Ericsson now should be uh, a regular. And it's, it is quite a surprise that he has managed to do it because I think about a month ago if he had left the club, nobody would have been mm. that surprised. But pretty much since he scored that, the free kick, uh, the goal that won the derby in the Coppa Italia, uh, he's, yeah, he's took his chance that night and pretty much ever since been, been really good and there was a huge amount of rumours of him in January uh, of him moving as you say so it wouldn't, yeah, have, been, it wouldn't there, have been a surprise wouldn't been at all surprise, yeah. but I, I think given you know you're going into a tight like the end of a title race now or like the you know when the games are getting tight and you just want to keep on winning or you want to keep things taking over I think I'd rather have Christian Eriksen in there than um, Arturo Vidal Eriksen <laughs> Eriksen just seems like a something tells me Eriksen might be a calmer head in those sort of tense situations just something <laughs> Um, elsewhere uh, Napoli have announced that they won't be speaking to the media for the foreseeable future after the 4-2 defeat uh, to Atalanta so that sounds like things are going well over there uh, but unfortunately for them they've, they've already had to speak to them on <laughs> on uh, Wednesday because I think they can do that at home but they're definitely not allowed to do it when it comes to European games no they're not they're for a lot gets the better of them there but yeah they've pretty much, it's quite a common thing with Italian teams whenever things start to go a bit wrong they completely shut down and not only will they stop speaking to the media but a lot of times they'll go away in a, a lockdown of themselves and the players are all taken out of their homes and they all have to go live oh, yeah. all together and yeah to try and but I think when I mean it's rare when you see when that happens that it has turns things around I mean it has happened in the past but usually you're kind of talking end game territory when Mm-hmm. that kind of situation crops up it's, it sounds like a tactic from Big Trap you know from back in the day that he, that, <laughs> yeah. that he might do probably which, invented it <laughs> um, but but things are not going particularly good in Napoli and it seems like Atuso is under quite a bit of pressure right yeah I think there's quite a lot of reports now that if they don't manage to turn around the Europa League game against Granada and they're 2-0 down from the first leg that yeah he'll be gone um, I did say that there was that decisive week a few weeks ago that if he lost the three games in a week and then he lost the first two games and managed to somehow beat Juve when Juve had about 25 shots and just couldn't score but they managed to win that one but it looks like it's pretty much only a stay of execution for them and it's hard to see the way that they played in the first leg them turning it round and yeah it seems like it'll pretty much be the end then for Gattuso and when they do get knocked any any names being circulated to replace him yeah it looks like Rafa Benitez they, they oh what back. yeah they've kind of, he's the only one that seems that they've spoken to a few times more than what I think they sounded out Allegri and it doesn't seem like he was that interested so yeah I think Benitez the big one I think they were linked with Spalletti but they don't think that's going to happen he's still getting paid off on like a massive contract to enter Sari if they get a caretaker they might look at Sari until the summer so they're talking about Matt Sari and maybe coming in until the summer and then Sari back so of all the names that are getting linked it just seems to be all guys that have coached them before not a lot of imagination seems to be going on with De Laurentiis. No, and they should know that Rafa Benitez is, of course, off to Celtic. As, they should. As they we should. all know. So they shouldn't get their hopes up. No, there. hands off, Napoli, you know. Yes. 
Um, any update on uh, Victor Ozyman? Because he t- he took a he took a hit at the, at the weekend, didn't he? Yeah, quite a quite a nasty one. Yeah, the the neurosurgeon who actually uh, tested him and stuff after the after he took the big bang has pretty much said that he shouldn't be allowed to play at least until the weekend. He's kind of warned that in even if he looks like he's available to play in the Europa League on Thursday night, he's strongly advised that Napoli shouldn't play him. But yeah, it was quite scary. I mean, he woke up the after the after he'd been knocked down. He says even the next day he's had no memory of what was happening. It was quite frightening. Yeah. Um, I think there was an incident last year with Ospina with Napoli, and they kind of they thought he was okay, and then he was in training a few days later, and he felt quite dizzy again. So yeah, I think. They'd be wise. I mean, I know he came with like really big reputation, a lot of money, and but it just seems like this season's probably one just to write off for him between this and he obviously had corona for it seemed like about two months and he's had injuries and I think he'll be a really good player for them, but probably just best to wait until next season until we see the best from him. And I mean, he's only what twenty two, so he's plenty of time to yeah, to, to prove himself at the club. Um, just speaking of the of the Atlanta game, it was nice to see Gasparini get sent off. It's always nice to see a manager get sent <laughs> yeah. to the stands. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen so often anymore. Um, how are they doing with Papu Gomez? They're really good. Um, oh, okay. They've hmm. not missed them a whole lot. They're honest. not crying into their, you know, listening to Ryan Adams and crying into their pillow or anything like that? No, they're not. I mean, I would be if he left. <laughs> I think I'd be, I would be quite upset. But, yeah, I mean, they've kind of been used to it for, for a while now because the bust-up happened, obviously, like late November, December time. So I suppose they've kind of been adjusted to to knowing that he was going to go in January and that he wouldn't get back into the team while well, he brought him back in for that one game against Ajax because they had to, to basically aside, yeah, <laughs> yeah. to make sure they qualified in the Champions League and then they did and that was him back out again and, but yeah the, it just shows how, how good a job Gasparini's done and how with like you could look at that Atalanta team and he was the superstar and there's not like a lot of other really probably names that if you don't follow them closely that people would know like Gosens and Freuler and Lewis mm. Muriel is like the greatest sub striker of all time every time he comes off the bench he seems to score straight away and yeah they probably they could cause Real Madrid quite a few problems in Champions League as well so and they get just get goals from everywhere too it's not as if they were relying on him too much in that regard just really really fun team even without Papu Gomez yeah we should say we're recording this before they play Real Madrid Hence why. Hopefully before uh, the, the the tie isn't done before the, <laughs> the second leg like Lazio's is and I'll look very foolish. Oh yeah. That was that was an awkward that was an awkward one to watch. It really was. <laughs> Especially if you'd predicted uh, that Lazio would cause a surprise. So for mm. all my inter to win the Derby three 0 predictions. <laughs> I can get some badly wrong. They stuff. just looked extremely nervous, like they were falling over their own feet at one stage. Yeah, yeah. That's what Bayern does to you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, at the other end of the table, it looks like we finally have the three teams set to drop down to Serie B. Yeah, I think. It's it's Cagliari, Parma and Crotone, I want to say, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, and it'd be hard to see any of them clawing it back. Just the way that they're playing and the teams above them, like Torino have really come on to uh, good form since 
they sacked Jim Powell and brought in David Nicola and he's a relegation specialist as well. And they had a super win over Cagliari at the weekend too. Yeah, I mean that was yeah. that was the big one. That kind of that's put the gap at five points, and Cagliari obviously sacked Di Francesco after that, even though they gave him a new two and a half year deal about <laughs> a month ago, in the middle of like a nine game or ten game, whatever it was, losing streak. It's just <laughs> crazy. But yeah, it just looks like they'll all be caught adrift now. It might not be so exciting at either ends of the table. That might be quite a an anti-climax the end of this season Inter run away with it the three teams down there well, you never know Torino might give them something yeah. to enjoy it with maybe maybe I mean Torino are in big trouble just now I think 10 players have Corona and they're talking about the next two games being postponed so other teams below them pick up points and then Torino have these games on the board and yeah you're playing catch up then you never know but I'd be a lot more confident now with with Nicola in charge to do the business alright that's lovely thanks Boric wonderful thank you okay that's all from us today my thanks to Dan Helga and Porik we'll be back next week but in the meantime should you miss us you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify wherever it is get your podcast hit and if you want to get in touch the address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com 